You're listening to Preserves, a Manitoba food history podcast, exploring the rich, flavorful history of Manitoba food and the people who make it, sell it, and eat it. From the packing table to the dinner table, from restaurant specials to grandma's secret recipes, we consider the cultural, social, and commercial aspects of Manitoba food and what it means to us. I'm your host, Kent Davies. As per usual, I'm joined by food and business historian, Professor Janice Thiessen. Hi, Kent. What's in the pantry for us today? On this episode, we'll be showcasing some of the student research from our summer class. Can you talk about the class, Janice? Sure. This was a brand new offering this year, uh, History 3504, the Manitoba Food History Truck. So students who were largely in third year uh, took the course. We spent one week here on campus training folks uh, with the assistance of yourself and uh, Kimberly Moore from the Oral History Center. And then the second week, students met at uh, the location of the truck, uh, which was parked at Sir William Stevenson Library. Thank you to Winnipeg Public Libraries for partnering with us. And they recorded interviews with uh, members of the general public who came on board the truck and cooked, except for two instances where people who owned their own food trucks came and brought them to the library, and we cooked on their trucks instead. And this podcast is actually based on the interviews from one of those trucks. Can you talk about some of the interviews and some of the people we met? Yes. We had uh, folks from a bone broth company uh, come and tell us about their product and how it uh, does and does not differ from soup stock. Uh, We had individuals who came who were chefs in summer camps and produced their own cookbook. Uh, We had uh, the owner of Red Ember, the well-known Winnipeg uh, wood-fired pizza truck, uh, come out with his truck. And so that was an adventure for us. It's the largest food truck in the city, and it's got... That thing is massive. Right? Yeah. Yeah, with a fire burning within it. So talk about safety and health issues. So it made ours pale in comparison. Yeah. And I believe the course was kind of diving into kind of the history of food trucks, right? That yes. That was part of it? Yes. We, we read a, a great book, uh, From Loncheras to Lobster Love, uh, about the origins of food trucks in um, mid-20th century California. Uh, students read those, and then after conducting their interviews, they turned them into podcast episodes and story maps. So in this episode, we feature Emily Gardner and Trent Brownlee, uh, two students who interviewed Anthony Faraci of Faraci Foods on his food truck. Without giving too much away, the Faraci family are known for their snack foods, and one snack in particular that Anthony's Uncle Paul invented. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're in for a treat because it is an amazing snack food that was invented right here in Manitoba. An amazing snack food and an amazing story. Let's have a listen. When I was a little kid, one of my favorite snacks was pizza pops. I remember racing through the door after school, throwing off my shoes and backpack, and hurrying over to the freezer to pull out a bright orange box with a Pillsbury logo on it. A minute and a half in the microwave later and I would be munching away on a doughy, saucy treat, which was definitely not healthy, but always a lot of fun. Growing up, pizza snacks and pizza treats were a staple of my childhood, same as a lot of other North American kids. My dad used to tell me, though, when he was a kid, pizza pops were made locally and tasted better than today. Now, he always said a lot of things were better back in his day, so I never really believed him. 
Well, that is until I met someone else with memories of seven-year-old Emily's favorite after-school snack. Memories which strike a much more personal chord than my own. Um, it was one of those treats that we didn't make all the time, but it was definitely one of the special occasions when the uncle would come over or we'd try to recreate it for the family. Meet Anthony Faraci, owner and operator of Faraci Foods, a local food truck, and the great-nephew of Mr. Paul Faraci, innovator of the original Pizza Pop. Anthony let us join him on his food truck this spring, where he told us all about how the pop was invented. Well, from what I understand from the stories is it originated in Winnipeg back in, uh, I guess, 60s or 70s, so well before my time. I guess a lot of trial and error trying to get a product down pat. So from there, it kind of just took off from something that just got made in a kitchen to kind of, kind of a mainstream, well-known food product. But how did it take off? This was something I was very curious about going into the interview. How did the pizza pop go from an idea his great uncle had in the back of a Sargent Avenue restaurant to my kitchen freezer? And how had it changed so much from the recipe Anthony's family cooked in their food truck to the very different box product of today? To understand how this happened, how a simple snack made by a gentleman in Winnipeg could become a product popular across Canada, it's key to look at the past, the trends, and the changes in our society that led the pizza pop from the back room to the front pages. So in the next few minutes, we're gonna take a bit of a walk down memory lane as we figure out what made the pizza snack what it was and what it is now. The rise of pizza came in the 1950s. Following World War II, there was an influx of interest in international foods in Canada and the U.S. as returning soldiers had gotten used to different varieties while overseas. Pizza became popular as the food appealed to children and young adults as well as their parents. Originally from Naples, it was the food of the working class, but was versatile enough to be adapted to many environments. Thus, as people took a greater interest in international foods, pizza and the tight Italian food communities were there to meet them. Many Italian families got into the food industry as food was representative of status in Italian culture. They opened stores, restaurants, and other industries. And the Faracci's, when they came to Canada, were no different. My grandfather on my mother's side was Sam Garino. And he got, I got all my ambition, I think, or for whatever you want to call it, from him. My grandfather originally when I was about six, uh, I would go and I guess you would say work with him, but he had an open air fruit market on Colony Street, just down from the Hudson Bay on Portage Avenue. I would work with my grandfather every summer holiday until I was 13. That's Paul Faraci. He's speaking here in a short video created by Anthony's father, Phil Faraci, Paul's nephew. As Paul grew up, he took his grandfather's ambitious spirit with him and worked in different fields. He was working at restaurants and at a driving school when inspiration struck from one of his students. I went, went to work for a company called um, Joe Vine's Driving School to be a driving instructor. And um, from there, I had, I had a customer that I was training, and he said to me one night, you know, you keep talking about finding something different. So I did, so I was talking about these things. And he'd say to me, well, okay, try this place. Uh, it was a restaurant on Sargent, on Ellis Avenue. Go there and ask for a panzerotta, which I did. Paul apparently tried the panzerotta and came up with an idea of how to make it his own. From the back of the restaurant he part owned on Sargent Avenue, he began to make his own version of the food. This became his pizza pop, which he started selling out of the restaurant as he continued to perfect it. If I thinned up the crust 
and added pepperoni to it and mushrooms or things like that. So eventually I ended up calling it Pizza Bob. I kept experimenting and I did that for almost seven years. Then eventually I um, decided it was time to try and put it in the stores. Paul and his business partners opened a manufacturing location on Higgins Avenue in Winnipeg and began producing pizza pops to be sold across Canada. They were part of a massive growth in snack food popularity that started following the war. Frozen food and food production technology had become more available, and snack foods graced the aisles of many stores. Often, this was because more women were entering the workforce, increasing the need for quick and easy meals for families. Different takes on the pizza and the frozen pizza were ideal for this. These conditions made the pizza pop very popular very quickly. Soon, pizza pops were on shelves everywhere. Paul left the Higgins Avenue business in the early 1980s due to differences with his manufacturing partners. In 1987, the Pizza Pops brand was sold to Pillsbury, which continues to manufacture them in Winnipeg. By then, there had been a rise in massive snack food companies, and they bought out smaller businesses and each other regularly. Pillsbury was later acquired by General Mills, the largest snack food maker in North America back in 2001. Changing owners meant changing recipes too, and Paul's Pizza Pop started tasting very different than the way people remembered. I guess the way the story goes is there was kind of a few separations between my uncle and where it is today. So we don't have like a direct correlation to, to the company that is currently selling them. I think for us now, the big thing in the comments from the customers how the recipe has changed so much over the years. I think that's one thing that we would focus on is keeping the recipe the same. That's what the people are kind of coming back for time after time. So I think if we get to that point, we would ensure that our recipe does stay the same, just on a larger scale. So I couldn't tell you why they why they changed or how they changed it. I mean, ingredients do change over time, but whatever the new owners, I guess, decided, kind of varied quite a bit from what the what was truly meant to be. Over the years, Paul and his family talked about bringing back the original recipe to the public, but they never felt it was the right time. For years, Paul, Phil, and later Anthony Faraci contemplated how they would go about doing it. But the concern existed that the public interest wouldn't be there to meet the product if they brought it back. Yeah, my uncle and my dad had a close connection. Like They would talk two, three times a week, even when he was living out in BC. So like I said, it was one of those things where it was always a good idea in their brain to want to bring it back, but it's kind of how do you go about doing that? So right. it's, and uh, like I said, since the request came in after he passed away, I was like, oh wow, it's like maybe it's time to, to try it out. Paul Faraci passed away in February of 2018. News outlets across the country reported on his passing, including the Winnipeg Free Press and the CBC. News of Paul's passing spread across the country, and Canadians began to take note. People sent their condolences to the family and started talking online about what they loved about Paul's original pizza snack recipes. There was so much response from people you know, across Canada that you know, I guess with the condolences and just the memories of the original. So I think, think from there, all the requests to have it brought back kind of, you know, led us to finally just, you know, end up doing it and see what happens. Continuing Paul's legacy, Anthony and his family decided it was time to bring back the original pizza pop, which they now dubbed Paul's Original Pizza Snack. But how would they do this? Making snacks was one thing in their kitchens, but selling them was another. Well, luckily, they had a food truck. Anthony Faraci started his own food truck back in 2014 and has been working in the food truck scene in Winnipeg ever since. Over the last decade or so, food trucks have become increasingly popular. 
Shows like Eat Street have made it a cool option to get your lunch or dinner from your local food truck. Their fun, informal, and diverse nature has made them a part of many cities' cultures across North America, including in Winnipeg. Would you say there's a really strong food truck community? Uh, definitely, yeah. I've gotten to this, and this is my fifth year, and I've definitely seen the numbers grow. And I think we were, uh, when we get involved, there wasn't tons and tons, but I think now, I think one of the big food truck um, festivals they have is Manifest down on Broadway. I think there's like anywhere between like 30 to 50 different trucks that are from the area that kind of come and set up. So the presence is very strong. Anthony Ferracci had a path to success that few are brave enough to take. He left his part-time job at a pizza restaurant to start his own food truck business. For him, this was no easy gamble. The startup costs for a business like his are not cheap, and securing financial capital was the first step. That was probably one of the scariest things. I mean, going from, you know, working a part-time job to, you know, working with the banks to get uh, everything kind of settled up. I mean, you know, a pickup truck and a trailer is not cheap. And you know, all the cooking equipment we have inside, it, it is a big and first investment. And I guess that was the biggest risk I was willing to take to see what would happen. And I'm still here standing, so I guess it wasn't so bad. But it's definitely a lot of work and a lot to consider before getting into. So had you ever gone to the bank to request a loan of anything like that before? No, that was my first time. No, it wasn't necessarily the smallest of loans either when you're considering purchasing all this stuff up front. Um, there's a local business called Futurepreneur. Um, they kind of help, I guess, young entrepreneurs kind of get the ball rolling, so they helped out rather, rather well for me. Just putting you in contact with different financial institutions and different programs to kind of make sure your mind is right to you know, want to pursue this even further. Some studies suggest that the barrier to entering the food truck industry is rising. In fact, in an article for the academic journal Context, written by Amy Hanser and Zachary Hyde, it is noted that the very success of the food truck that makes it an attractive investment is also driving up startup costs as increasingly more gourmet and well-equipped trucks gain strangleholds on the metropolitan market. It remains to be seen if this trend will spread to smaller markets like Winnipeg and affect local trucks like Anthony's. Anthony didn't start his business by imitating his great uncle, however. He had no intention of taking a shortcut. Anthony, with help from his father, began their first food truck with the Bannock factory, and later adding the pretzel factory. Drawing from his family's Métis heritage, he was inspired to cook all kinds of unique Bannock dishes for the adoring crowds that would soon line up at his window. I guess it was just an idea. I mean, I've always kind of liked to cook. And my dad's owned his own sign business over the years, so it was kind of one of those things where you know, I figured we'd give it a shot. Started off at the Bannock factory, so we did like Bannock hot dogs, Bannock burgers, and fries, and that sort of thing. Um, from that, we went to Ferracci's pretzel factory, so we did a wide variety of gourmet soft pretzels, pretzel dogs, and fries. Then I think since we introduced the, the Paul's original pizza snack, which was the original flavor, that is kind of taking more priority now, just due to the demand on the product. So the first one was the Bannock factory. Yes. How did you come up with the idea to sell Bannock out of a food truck? Um, well, it's kind of a funny story. Um, I guess years before that, my dad came up with a product called Bannock in a Box. So we kind of looked at the food industry and kind of figured, um, you know, trying to look at a kind of a niche market for ourselves. You know, being in Winnipeg, we've been to a lot of events where, you know, Bannock is kind of that, um, I guess, tasty treat that everybody does know and enjoy. So it was something a little bit different that we tried to do. And from that, we've done a lot of, like, trade shows and different events, and people were requesting, oh, like, this is so good, but you should, you know, try making burgers, try making sandwiches. So we kind of took that idea, you know, into the food truck and kind of see where that went and then everything kind of just stemmed from there. Anthony chose to go his own direction, forging ahead on a path that was uniquely his. 
but never forgetting his roots and that of his family. The two sides of his family that inspire his cooking are Italian and Métis, and his talent as a cook shows in both culinary traditions. It is certainly worth noting here that the popularity of a Métis-inspired culinary experience like the Bannock Factory is a sign of change and the resilience of the Métis nation, who have often faced systemic discrimination and whose cuisine is rarely cherished by the public, even here in the heartland of the Métis Nation. The reassertion of Métis culture in Manitoba on a larger scale is certainly helped along by the entrepreneurship of young Métis people in Winnipeg. The Farachi family has a long history of culinary entrepreneurship. The oldest story they know of consists of a distant ancestor who sold peanuts and ice cream from his horse-drawn buggy. Yeah, there was a relative way back when, what was it, Dad? I think roasted peanuts and ice cream or something like that. Yeah, it was pulled, it was like a, a horse and buggy trailer. So that was like the original, I guess, original food trailer towed by one horsepower, right? So. Did you consider the ice cream and peanuts route when you were coming up with this? No, I didn't. And even looking back at that picture, I mean, uh, you know, a wooden horse-drawn carriage selling ice cream, I wasn't quite sure how they managed to pull that off back in the day, but I guess they did. <laughs> there certainly is a lot of history behind this family and many options for the revival theme. But as you might have guessed, there wasn't that same clamor for the public to bring back nuts and ice cream. So, having picked the most anticipated item to revive, Paul's original pizza snack. It was time for Anthony and his father to perfect their recipe and ensure they could live up to the high standards Paul had set for them. I think that's kind of like our primary focus now would be kind of like the Italian theme menu. So we're doing like meatball subs, sausage subs, we're still doing our delicious fries. And I think the highlight would be the Paul's original pizza snacks, which everybody is asking for. One of the keys to success in the food truck industry is playing by the rules. Regulations can be strict, but as Anthony told us, the rules are there for a reason. Yeah, I'm not against them at all. I mean, you talk to some people that don't like them, but I mean, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, we have a great relationship with the health inspectors and the fire inspectors. When you're not doing anything wrong, there's no issues to you know, be concerned about that. I think it's probably for the best you do comply as much as you can. I mean, it's for the safety of your customers too. I and mean, if you're not following those, I don't want to line up with sick customers because they ate at my place. You know, our fridge is at temperature. You know, we have our hand washing in place. There's nothing to be worried about on our end, which is nice. So it's one of those things where it's not a, a huge deal. It just, you got to make sure you're following all the steps you need to take. Regulation and food safety have long been a concern surrounding food trucks. Back in 2012, there was already debate raging in municipal politics across North America about how to balance supportive stances toward entrepreneurs, fairness for brick-and-mortar restaurant owners, and most importantly, public health concerns. The food truck industry, much like the wider restaurant industry, is not easy to survive through, let alone thrive. With a pretty well-known study from Ohio State University stating that 60% of restaurants fail in the first year and 80% within the first five. It's pretty clear that jumping into the food services industry is not a decision to take lightly. We definitely see a rotation of people from time to time. Um, like I said, over the last five years is when I've really seen, a, I guess, a large flux of them coming to market. But there's people doing it two, three, four, or five years prior to myself even getting involved. So there's definitely people that stick with it a long time. They find something they like doing and it's a way to make a living. Um, like I said, it's not necessarily the easiest thing, you know, being in Winnipeg, it is rather a seasonal business, you know, three, four months. So you definitely got to keep yourself busy in the off months. It all depends on how hard you want to work. You know, you see some guys that aren't out necessarily all the time. I mean, over the years, we've been kind of getting gradually busier and busier, so you're trying to focus on getting out more and more. It's all on how hard you want to work. 
Anthony told us of the challenging times following a workday that lasted nearly 24 hours. Um, there's been days, I mean, I think the longest day of work would probably be close to like the full 24 hour mark when you're you know, busy doing events and you know, when you're prepping food, serving food. There was one day that we did an event and we kind of figured we would prep for the whole weekend. This is back to the manifest of big food truck wars. And you're getting a pretty good head start on what you figured you would sell for the weekend. So come Saturday about 6 o'clock, we ended up selling out of everything that we had brought for the weekend. So that kind of left us at a point of, okay, well, you kind of got to finish up the Saturday event. You know, you're there till about midnight. And then you're up at 4 o'clock in the morning to bake some more product for the next day because you still have a full day of event to roll around. So Over the struggle of cooking in full winter gear during the colder months that nearly broke his spirit. The nice cold winters we have here in Winnipeg. I mean, when you open up this window and you got your exhaust fan sucking air in, you basically got to be in your winter gear on the inside cooking your food. So it's not necessarily my favorite thing to do when it's minus 40 out. You got to, you know, set up the outside and be on the inside where it's still rather cold. So, so yeah. So what keeps you going when you got those difficult events? Um, I guess knowing that I kind of brought this up myself, and it's one of those things that I kind of I got to keep going. There's no real choice to, you know, not work today. You know, I can't really call in sick on a day when it's your own thing. So I guess that's a big pushing drive and it's something that I want to see succeed. So like I said, you go through a lot of difficult times. Nothing is really going to be that easy if it's worth it, right? So it's one of those things you just got to tell yourself that you, know, you got to keep going. Through working together day after day, Anthony and his father, Phil, their shared love of cooking has made the food truck a family project. So it's one of those things where not a lot of people have that opportunity to stick around with their folks, you know, time after time, especially working with them. You can imagine there's ups and downs, the same as anything, right? I mean, you got your, your co-worker that's your dad, right? So, <laughs> but all in all, it's still good. Anthony Faraci did things right. He worked hard and built his business from the ground up. He also took seriously the legacy his family had left him. And only when he was truly ready to honor Paul's legacy in the way he deserved, did he revive the recipe that made Paul Faraci a local legend. That's something I'm not gonna touch. Um, especially the original with the matzo, the pepperoni, um, the tomato sauce. That's kind of like the standard, kind of what started it all. And he's done different flavors in the past on the inside. So I think adding, not necessarily to this recipe, but maybe making, you know, like a ham and pineapple or something a little bit different. But I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be the dough on the outside that really sells the product. Unlike the microwave variety, those from my young generation will have grown up with, there is a mouth-watering texture and smell to Anthony's faithful recreation of Paul's original pizza snack that informs the senses that this was made with care. Um, well, I think for us, off the bat, we deep-fried fresh per order. So you're getting that nice, light, crispy crunch when you bite into it. And um, the ingredients on the inside, I mean, the cheese is melty, the pepperoni is, you know, nice and soft. And uh, I think it comes down to the sauce we use, which is the, the secret recipe to the insides. Paul's original pizza snack was reintroduced in Winnipeg in the spring of 2018. The media, which had been covering Paul's passing and the renewed interest in the pizza snack that had followed, quickly jumped on board the story and people turned out in droves to the food truck to try the recreated treat, with the city's mayor being among the first customers. Yeah, it's definitely been a wild last summer and even the beginning of this summer. It's just unbelievable to see people you know, follow us around and show up day after day, so it's like, wow. <laughs> with demand mounting again for this special treat, Anthony has found himself coming up to the same complication that stared down his great uncle back in the 60s. How was he going to keep up with demand without compromising the quality of his product? Well, 
in the past, like when we started this last year, we were making it all by hand. Like we had a small prep kitchen, so it was a lot of very labor-intensive work to make our, I guess, make our product or that the prepping part of our product, which is consisting of like the dough we would use to make the pizza snacks. And back to those sold-out days where you know you would you would go through so much product, and there's only so many days in a week to kind of prep, versus you know you want to be out and selling too. So we've had a couple local bakeries we've talked to, and we found the one that was able to help us with uh, our dough production. So we would basically provide them with our secret mix of spices, and they have, uh, I guess, a larger assembly line of equipment that would help us along making these a lot simpler to, to get versus us slaving away for all those hours. But Anthony wants to bring his goods to market too. He hopes to be able to sell Paul's original pizza snacks on grocery store shelves someday soon. And so, he has been searching for just the right suppliers and business partners to make that dream come to fruition. I've had a lot of requests from people across Canada wanting to be able to bring us home and enjoy it. Just unfortunately out of our food truck right now, it's not one of those things that we can, you know, I guess legally get into a grocery store just because we don't have the proper manufacturing codes for the truck. So it's something I want to do. Just again, larger startup cost. It's definitely something we're planning and hoping to get into in the, in the future. Can't say if, when, or other that we will be doing that, but it's definitely on the brain. For Anthony, he believes that if they do it right, bringing back Paul's original pizza snack will be worth the risk of it changing again. They have learned from his uncle, and moving forward, it is their top priority. But Anthony is undaunted. He knows where the stumbling block that ruins the pizza snack is. The microwave. According to Anthony, it's about the worst way to cook it, as it will make it soggy instead of crispy, the very opposite of the desired texture. I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep that in mind for a lot more of my cooking going forward. In the story of Paul's original pizza snack, we find that both Paul Faraci and Anthony Faraci's experiences are actually quite similar. Both men came from a background of family entrepreneurs, and they had their own business in the food industry before they brought in the pops. For Paul, it was his restaurant, and for Anthony, it was his food truck. They both started cooking and serving the snacks, but later worked towards getting them in stores. Each of them were creating businesses that took advantage of trends in the food industry that were growing at the time. Paul's Pizza Snacks were introduced, along with a huge growth in the snack food industry, when frozen and prepared foods were at their height. On the other hand, Anthony's food truck fits with the contemporary love of street food and casual dining. Both made choices that took advantage of Canadians' food tastes, hitting close to home with their products. Paul's Pizza Snacks were invented when the love of pizza and curiosity for international cuisine had peaked. Later, when Anthony brought them back, his recipe was marketed towards an audience nostalgic for a treat from them and their city's pasts. Of course, today there are some differences. Anthony has the advantage of a lot of press surrounding the pop's return. He's also living in an age of social media where advertisement and connection with his customers has become more frequent and much simpler. Even so, the comparison is clear and undeniable. They share a lot of similarities in the pizza pop's rise and fall. So it turns out the story of Paul's Pizza Snack is a lot more complicated than I probably thought when I was munching on my pops when I was a little kid. It is a snack whose popularity comes from its history, memory, cultural relevance, which allowed it to appear, popularize, and evolve in the way it did. It also comes from the fact that they're just plain delicious. I might sound a little bit biased, but I think the, the pizza snacks are uh, really delicious. I mean, when you bite into them, there's, I've never tried something similar to that, so that's just my opinion. What the future of the snacks will be is unknown now, but what we do know is that Paul wanted it to continue on, and he passed on his story and recipe just for that reason. Now, I'm going to pass you over to my, my nephew, who I've been teaching, just in case something happens to me. 
he at least knows everything or pretty well everything I know. Because I've been telling him things and showing him things and we've been doing the recipe together. So cheers to the Farachis and Paul's invention. Looking forward, the pizza snack will continue to be a part of Manitoba's history and a fantastic example of how the food industry has grown and changed over the years. You have been listening to Preserves, a Manitoba food history podcast produced by myself, Kent Davies, hosted by Janice Thiessen and myself. Kimberly Moore creates the photos and images that accompany each podcast. Our theme music is by Robert Kenning. Preserves is recorded at the University of Winnipeg Oral History Center. You can check out the OHC and all the work we do at oralhistorycenter.ca. For more Manitoba Food History Project content, information, and events, go to manitobafoodhistory.ca. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have a Manitoba food story that you want to share, contact us by clicking on the contact link on our website. Preserves is made possible by a grant from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. Thanks for listening.